This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. Well, there's plenty to discuss in the news this week. The DWP devote an entire episode to what's happening in the Hooniverse. Yes, indeed. Welcome to episode 172 of the Doctor Who podcast. And once again, we have a change of hosts. Hello, Trevor. It's just you and I today. Indeed. We've been left alone in the camper van to rummage through the newspapers and the online forums and the uh, online news repositories to... uh see what's happening out there in the world, Yeah, it's, it, certainly Doctor Who-wise anyway. Well, it, it's quite interesting because we, we, we don't have regular news episodes anymore and it used to be something we did pretty much every single week because there were so many developments going on in the Doctor Who world and I, I think it's actually the case now we are getting less news out of the Doctor Who production office in Cardiff um, and yet speculation seems to be increasing. I suppose that makes sense. If you haven't got anything concrete to talk about, then fans will speculate. That's right. That's it. That's the only thing we really can do these days. You know, stroke our chins and think, hmm, I wonder what's going to be happening next season in Doctor Who. Oh, yes. Because uh, news is so thin on the ground. I mean, we really have to start spreading our, um, I don't know, newscasting net quite wide to uh, come up with stuff to talk about. No, I, I agree. And I, and I think, in all honesty, the approach to marketing that the BBC have now is, you know, it, it shows the difference between classic and new Doctor Who very, very clearly. You look at the way that John Nathan Turner and Russell T Davies, to a degree, flirted with the media and, uh, you know, dropped little pieces of information, this monster is coming back um, and this character is coming back. Whereas now you get practically nothing. And I think that culminated, you know, in, in Jenna Louise Coleman's appearance in Asylum of the Daleks when absolutely nobody was expecting it. And you just can't help think that if RTD was in charge of that, that, you know, we would probably have known about it. I mean, I know he kept a similar secret with Billy Piper returning in Partners in Crime, but I, I just think that it would have been far more likely to have got out, um, you know, mm. in, in the in any era, really, pre-Moffat. Do you think we'd get that same sort of thing if, uh, say, Moffat was fully in charge of, I don't know, casting a new Doctor, for example? Do you think we would have the 18-month advance warning like we did back in the RTD? I'm absolutely certain he would do everything he can to keep it a secret for as long as possible. But I think he's a realist as well. And, you know, there are fan journalists, people like us, should I say, all over the sets now um, and, and the locations when they record. So I think the BBC need to maintain a control, a certain level of control about what gets announced when and not let people 
um, who are part of fan journalism um, get scoops. So in other words, yes, I, I, I do think Moffat would still announce it, but I think he would leave it until the latest possible moment uh, to, to, to announce it, yeah. But but anyway, news-wise, we, we haven't got a great deal to discuss now, but we do have one story that it would be completely remiss of us not to give some airtime on the Doctor Who podcast to. And, um, you know, we, we've talked about reality television uh, many times, actually, on the Doctor Who podcast. The, yes. Yeah, the, Hello, Barry. <laughs> Hello, Barry. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I'd still love to know how he is doing, really, after that terrible, terrible programme all about... Um, obsession and um you know compulsive collection of, of doctor who material you'll have to speak louder james because he's behind that big mound of newspaper <sighs> he won't be able to hear you <laughs> shout out to barry <laughs> oh dear um but yeah, featuring in that program was a, a certain colin baker and he's the reason why we're recording um or we're talking about this story now Colin Baker is going to be back on UK televisions every single night for at least the next seven nights, Trevor. How about that? For the next three weeks, you'll be spending your nights with us in Australia. It's finally here. It's the return of I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here! I have been Doctor Who. The jungle don't stand a chance. I describe myself as a normal bloke, really. Always look on the bright side of life. Give me a drink. <laughs> Thank you, young man. Um, sole reason for going, losing weight. What kind of an actor are you? Very good one. In the 80s, I did a very popular series called Doctor Who. I will bring all this to the camp, and hopefully I'll be taking away a lot less of it. I must acknowledge I'm competitive. If I'm playing a game with anybody, even if it's a four-year-old, I want to win. Wow, that that rivals his uh, stint in Doctor Who. Is he going to get more airtime in this show than he did during the 80s when he played the Doctor? Well, certainly for a very short, compressed time. Um, let's assume that it all goes terribly for Colin Baker and he gets voted off first, then he's still going to feature on our screens for what will be, let's say... A total of about six, seven hours uh, over the next the next seven days. So is is Colin in my country at the moment, slogging it out? Somewhere? I think he would have to be. I think he would need to be there now, certainly, which is part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it with you. But it sounds like I might know more about this franchise than you do. Tell me about it, James. Tell me. Oh about goodness, it. right. I I saw the first series of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here um, years ago. It must have been over ten years ago. Uh, it had Tara Palmer, Tompkins on it um it had goodness me it was so memorable i can't even recall uh, who the other contestants were but it, it kind of really took off here in the uk it was uh, a, a new level in, in in my view of trash tv um but it was strangely compulsive and um, you, you just watched these what were at the time celebrities and i think you could call the first bunch of people to feature on it celebrities um, taking part in a very strange contest that involved them eating creepy crawlies, uh, kangaroo testicles, and sitting in baths full of snakes and things. It was really quite oh. um, horrible stuff. Nothing had really been shown like that on UK screens before. 
Whereas now, because as as have all reality franchises gone on for so long, um, it, it's kind of attracted a lower level of celebrity year on year on year. And for me, when I first heard it rumoured that Colin Baker was going to feature on this, I was thinking, oh. God, I can't believe he lowered himself to go on this kind of mm. terrible television. You know, times must be difficult for for actors now. You know, um, they're competing for roles all the time. But I really thought, has has Colin Baker <laughs> got to the point where he's got to almost prostitute himself onto the worst kind of reality TV? Well. Um, that was my initial reaction, at least. I really hope not, because, I mean, I, I suppose shows like this can have two different effects. They can either promote the career of someone who isn't known to the you know, public that's watching it, or it can reignite the career yeah. of someone who may have had success in the past. I mean, Colin Baker, to me, certainly fits into that latter category, someone who the general public knows about, but certainly hasn't you know, been prominent for many years. I mean, he, he's had bit parts here and there. I remember watching him in a, a guest spot on Hustle yeah. a yeah, few yeah. years ago. Um, but he, he certainly isn't a, a, a regular on the U of K screen. So is this a chance maybe for Colin to reignite his career? I, I strongly suspect that's what he's, he's using it for, certainly to, to promote himself. I mean, he's, he's using the... Um, the reasoning that he wants to lose a stone and a half very quickly. And that's the reason why he's going to go on this show, um, because they generally eat very, very little on the show. You know, it's all about winning stars that you can trade for food and you win the stars by going through these Bush Tucker trials, which, uh, you know, are generally fairly horrible um, experiences that the... uh, the celebrities need to go through. Um, I, I think you're right in in terms of Colin wanting to get back on the screens, um, and and it could actually do some really good for him. Some real good for him. I mean, you look at someone like Christopher Biggins, who was almost, uh, you know, he he was famous for pantomime and children's television, and then he disappeared for years on end. Appeared on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, was incredibly gregarious, and the public really took to him. And it reignited his career. You suddenly saw him on all manner of, you know, television programs, and uh, he got a lot of exposure in the in, in the newspapers as well. He's kind of tailed off again now, but I'm certain that's what Colin Baker is hoping for. Um, whether or not he's as well known as you you seem to think he is in the UK, I'm not so sure anymore. I don't think the normal person in the street or a regular person would even recognize Colin Baker as uh, having played Doctor Who now Um, you know he's been on screen as you say in various dramas he's been in Casualty he's been in Doctors he had a stint on Come Dine With Me recently and and, and won Um, you know he he won that because he is an incredibly interesting individual and it's very easy to empathize and like him and I wouldn't be surprised if Colin Baker wins this uh, just because he's got an incredibly affable nature and i think the uk public will take to him very very quickly james i'm a podcaster get me out of here give me another bit of news from the tank oh chicago tardis very exciting and i don't think we said it on the show but we've got one of our very own appearing at uh, chicago tardis she's going to be there 
uh, representing the DWP, our very own Michelle. Hooray. Yes, I think this is Michelle's first time um, at Chicago TARDIS. She's been to Gadafray three or four occasions, I think. But she decided to go to a, a convention and take her family with her. Now, this is a bit of a pump for Michelle because her husband and her son, I don't (laughs) think, are as devoted or as knowledgeable about Doctor Who uh, as as she is. Um, She's slightly concerned how something like cosplay will affect them. Personally, I think they will never go to a convention ever again. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I've I've been dragged, in inverted commas, to various things that say, you know, my wife Megan is interested in and we might have spent a weekend away. I always consider it a bit of a holiday. Because, I mean, a, a, a change is as good as a holiday. So mm. if you get mm. to go to somewhere different you haven't been, it sounds like it's going to be a really, really good convention. Of course, it isn't as big as Galley, of course, but I think one thing that Chicago TARDIS has going for it is that uh, due to the smaller amount of people that attend, there's a much bigger chance of uh, being able to interact with the stars of the show and you know the various guests that appear at the convention. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Uh, I mean, Gadafrey and Chicago TARDIS referred to each other as their sister convention. And I think the kind of atmosphere that they strive to achieve for their attendees is actually very, very similar. But you're right, I, I, I think Chicago TARDIS is definitely slightly smaller than Gallifrey, but in all honesty, Gallifrey's not the best um, convention to compare any other convention to because it is so large now. It used to be small, but I do, you know, I, I think it's not wrong to say it's the largest Doctor Who convention in the world now. Um, but certainly, Chicago TARDIS is going to be fun. I mean, you've got some other guests attending too. Ian McNeese, who at the moment I think he's um, attending every single American convention that uh, is going. Uh, he's, he's intending <laughs> and to. And good luck to Oh, him. absolutely. I mean, one, he, he's, he's an incredibly fun individual to speak to. Um, and he's attended Gallifrey before. He's been at Hooverville. Um, so, and he's going to Gallifrey again next year. So it's going to be fun to see to see him. Nicholas Briggs is is making a return to um, North America. Gary Russell, who once again is uh, pretty much uh, a, a given uh, for American conventions these days. Andrew Cartmel, who I've not seen at a um, a convention ever, is is attending, and I, I'd be very interesting to hear what he has to say. But yeah, certainly Chicago Tardis has been something that I would like to. Uh, attend at some point and I nearly did a couple of years ago when um, Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook uh, were headlining but uh, sadly couldn't make it that year Uh, but Michelle has asked us um, to to, to mention to to all you wonderful listeners that she's going to be there and um, also if there are any Doctor Who podcast listeners attending to go up and make themselves known to her Um, she'll she'll have a, a microphone with her and uh, she'd love to meet people and she'd love to record a little piece with you for for the Doctor Who podcast. So feel free to contact her directly. Uh, Her email address is michelle at the com. All of our emails are that cryptic, you know. Um, and uh, it'd be really, really good to hear from anyone who's uh, who's planning on going to Chicago TARDIS in a couple of weeks' time. Absolutely. She's even specifically said to us in an email that she doesn't really want to enjoy the convention. <laughs> she wants to spend as much time talking to you, our fabulous listeners. So if you see her at any time trying to, I don't know, listen to what's being said on stage or trying to you know, buy something in the dealer's room, feel free. You have our permission to go up and interrupt Absolutely. her and get get her to record your voice about 
something that's happening next year on Doctor Who. She she will love it. No, ab- ab- absolutely correct. Yeah, she'll be adorned in a Doctor Who podcast polo shirt for the entire weekend. She's not taking it off from the Friday through to the Sunday <laughs> evening. If she does, then she'll be sacked. Um, so, <laughs> and, and and of course, I think she's cosplaying this year as as an ogron. Um, so you know, she you should easily find Michelle will be able to spot her. James, tell me about this little thing called Airlock that you're heading off to uh, very soon. The uh, screening for the missing episode. Mm, yes. I am overjoyed and incredibly excited to be attending this. This is uh, what seems to be the annual Missing Believed Wiped episode that the British Film Institute run now. And they, they, they showcase a whole load of rediscovered footage or new footage uh, that that hasn't been seen or screened to the public before. And Doctor Who seems to be a fairly prominent feature. Um, If we remember about 12 months ago, this is where they announced the find uh, of of two classic series episodes, uh, one from The Underwater Menace and one from Galaxy 4. And I think they showed all of the missing episode of the underwater menace last year and this year they're going to be showing airlock which was the episode from from galaxy 4 i'm very very excited to be going to see this uh, i it means that the bbc have been spending at least 12 months or so restoring this episode which means it's going to be released on dvd the episode is going to feature as an extra on a special edition of the aztecs uh when it gets released i think it's next year now well, it's bound to be next year we're done for dvd releases this year which i'm slightly annoyed about i have to say because i've already bought the aztecs and it's remarkably no. good <laughs> um but this whole special edition thing is, is is a subject for another dwp i think trevor um but the, the good news is that i'm going to get to see uh, this episode of um, of Doctor Who, and 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 of course, it's been some time now since I've been able to say that I've seen every single episode of Classic Who that exists because twelve months ago these two were rediscovered, and I haven't seen either of them in full yet. So I'm very much looking forward to this. It's happening on the second of December, so that's a couple of Sundays time, and I'm I'm heading to the BFI with Luke from the the Minute Doctor Who podcast. So we will. You never know. We may be able to record a set report uh, once it's been once it's been aired. And and personally, I'm really hoping uh, that the BFI announce another <laughs> another missing episode. <laughs> the chances of that happening are obviously very very remote and, and and very small. But had had they discovered any more episodes, this is the event I believe that they would announce it at because it's the, the British Film Institute is steeped in history. It's very well respected in the UK as an organisation and they certainly would get the profile uh, that they'd be looking for, I think, um, if the BFI um, were the place they chose to announce any, any more fines. So uh, I'm, I'm going to two sessions. There's a session in the afternoon where Airlock will be screened and there's another session in the evening where they're going to be focusing on um, other areas of, of missing footage. And at that particular screening, they're going to be showing some, um, I think it's a documentary, or some behind-the-scenes footage they've discovered of one of the Dalek films uh, featuring Peter Cushion. So Doctor Who, very much a, a theme of both um, missing believed wipe sessions this year. Oh, very nice. I mean, surely you would think that if there's going to be any other 
missing story news, it, it's going to be at these or one of these two sessions because it would be just in time for the 50th anniversary year because the next year would be too late to announce stuff like that. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing any tidbits that come out of these particular sessions because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen there. You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? I mean, it is possible, I suppose, that they could have discovered some stuff a long time ago that they've not announced, and they're going to announce it very, very late to release. So, in other words, oh, we've found, I don't know, the Celestial Toy Maker, and it's coming out on DVD next month. Now, that... <laughs> Surely they wouldn't do that. Surely you never they know. wouldn't do something like that. You know, you know, they wouldn't hold it back from the fans like that, would you think? Oh, you? I think it's Surely. possible for the 50th anniversary. You never know. You never know what the BBC have got up their sleeves. But uh, I, I, I can but uh, I can but hope. But I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this event. All right. Well, next up today on the fantastic, fantabulous DWP podcast, we have another review from the incredible reviewing team of Ian and Michelle. Now, they are trying to... Uh, cement their popularity and just being all around famous and amazing here at the DWP, they've come up with their own ditty, their own introduction. My goodness, the the cheek, the pretense of these people. Where do they think they are? Well, I don't have an introduction. Do you have an introduction? I don't. That's what I'm saying. Huh. Why, do the, why does Ian and Michelle get one and we don't? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, th- I think all we can do is play it and preface it by saying that they are reviewing this episode the uh, Big Finish release called The Time Vampire. Woohoo. So over to Ian and Michelle and their new ditty. Big Finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish. Sorting out the wheat from the chaff for nonsense. Saving you money on the ones that are not so good. This week, Michelle and myself are looking at The Time Vampire, the third and final part of the Leela trilogy, which started with The Catalyst and continued through Empathy Games. In this, the backstory of Leela and how she's been captured by the Zed Nye is completed. So, Michelle, what were your thoughts around this last part of the story? Well, this story is truly extraordinary uh, in the sense that it is probably not like anything else I have ever heard from Big Finish. It really is unique. Uh, It's certainly, it's intense, it's psychological, it's stream of consciousness, um, it's complex. I got to tell you, I've listened to it three times, I think, now, and I almost grasp what's going on at the finale. Uh, You definitely have to work to understand this one. You know, not only does it culminate the trilogy, it's really the culmination of Leela's life. So pretty big concepts that are being explored. The eldest of my tribe, the Seventeen, teach of the wisdom of the youngest. A newborn child can say nothing, yet knows all there is to know of life and death, for its soul has made the great journey from one body to another. The newborn has learnt from the challenges of its old lifetime and knows what lessons are to be learned in its new one. I've said before that some big finishes you can take pretty much off the shelf and listen to them and they're fine. Others require a bit more attention. And I recall with Empathy Games, I actually had to listen through to it a second time to really get a handle on what was going on because it was quite ethereal and mystical and difficult to get your head around. And with this episode, it's gone much, much further down that road where, as you say, the entire episode is very, very hard to follow. In fact, I thought it became almost completely incomprehensible 
and I found by the end of the story I was actually getting quite annoyed and frustrated because it seemed to be so busy trying to be strange and weird that it just completely forgot to tell a story. In fact, it reminded me slightly of some of the the later-day classic-era stories like Ghostlight, where when they're so busy making an impression, they forget that this is actually also a story and we'd like to have some plot, please. Yeah, well, this was written by Nigel Fares. Um, not only did he write this, he also directed it. He was the sound designer and he did the music. So it was almost a, a one-man show other than the acting. And by the way, this, of course, is Louise Jameson playing not only Leela, but uh, a couple of the other secondary characters. And we get John Leeson doing not only K-9, but doing a full-fledged stand-up part. So it's kind of fun to hear them. And their performances uh, are outstanding. Louise Jameson is, is great as she has been throughout the whole series. But certainly, um, the more I listen to this, the more I appreciate it. But I would say it takes more than one listen. Uh, Louise is brilliant in this. And you can really see that from an actor's perspective there was a lot of material here for her to get her teeth into and she does so with the plot she's fantastic in most of these things but the fact that this was a one man show I think explains a lot of the problems around it because I've often found that people who have a a story that's their little baby and they get to do 100% of it they can get quite self-indulgent and what they really need is a good edit I found it to be self-indulgent I thought it was a bit pompous And when I then heard on the CD extras, the writer saying, oh, he wants to make sure people come back and listen to it more than once, I actually snorted out loud because, yes, you can go back and listen to this several times to try and understand what's going on, but you actually have to enjoy it first to want to do that. And I didn't enjoy this at all. I actually got very frustrated with it. it was counting down the minutes till it ended at the end, which was a real shame because Louise was acting her heart out, doing really stellar jobs of trying to bring these lines to life but I just thought the whole story let her down and it uh, is one of my least favorite big finishes to date. Oh interesting we'll have to disagree on this one then I wouldn't call it one of my favorites uh, and it definitely is a challenge you have to buckle your seatbelt as you go into this. I got to see Nigel Fares at a couple of the panels at Gallifrey this last year and my impression is that that he is absolutely bonkers but brilliant and uh, I, I would agree with you in the sense that I, I think it's probably safer to make a story a little more comprehensible than this one was on the first time through. I, I would like to have been able to follow it a little better than I did. But my second and third listen have enhanced my appreciation of it, and there's, it, it's very, very ambitious. I think it's worth listening to, but uh, make sure you can pay full attention to this one as you go through. Of course, he can't possibly know what it's for. He's only a boy. But if he finds out, I mean, I think he did find out when he grew up. But he hasn't done that yet. But when he does, I mean, when he did, I think that might have been when all this started because I'm sure I would have remembered if I'm about to meet myself. Unless, of course, I've forgotten. Or it hasn't happened yet to either of me. Doctor, you are not making any sense. The doctor nodded grimly. That's the trouble with time travel. Nothing's relative. I thought it was a payoff for the plot art that set up in the Catalyst and continued through Empathy Games. It really let me down because I loved the Catalyst. I thought it was a really strong story. Empathy Games I thought was enjoyable, if not one of my favourites. And I was really looking forward to a really solid ending to that trilogy to really round it out. And I, I just thought it completely lost its way at the end. I mean, there's definitely something in there. And I think this comes back to one of those classic Who debates that you get that... To go back to my example of Ghostlight, a lot of people defend Ghostlight. It credits the viewer with having intelligence and you have to think about it and got to work at it to get the story. And if you enjoy that and if that process of filling in the gaps and trying to 
get the nuances out and, and the subtleties appeals to you, you may well very much enjoy this. If, on the other hand, that leaves you quite cold and it's just like, look, can you tell me a story? I think you'll find this very frustrating. Well, the good news, Ian, is that you're not going to come across very many others quite like this in the Big Finish range. So uh, maybe we can leave you on that happy thought. Yes, and we've also got the Fourth Doctor series for me to go back to to hear some more of Louise's fantastic work. Talking of a uh, Big Finish, we have a new competition. And yes, we know we've got one about comics that's still ongoing at the moment, but why not? Why, why just have one competition going at one time? Let's have two. And first of all, Trevor, I think we'll talk about the, the prize that's on offer. Another story from, from Big Finish. This is from their Lost Story range. Um, it's a double CD, so it's a full cast story um, called The First Sontarans, and it's been written by Andrew Smith. And you long-time listeners or long-term fans of Doctor Who will remember that he wrote Full Circle back in the 80s. And this is a story that almost was commissioned. It was almost made into a television um, episode of Doctor Who featuring a Sixth Doctor and Perry. It's called The First Sontarans, so strangely, it's got Sontarans in it. And Andrew has been good enough to sign a cover. So this is going to be a fairly unique, very collectible, big finish double CD for you to win. There's one particular actor who is featured in the, as a Sontaran in Doctor Who on several occasions. He's featured in the Sarah Jane Adventures as well. And he also features in the first Sontarans. So I'd like to know who that actor is. And if you can send your entries to feedback at the com, and in the subject title, if you can put the first Sontarans or Sontarans competition or something that I can easily identify it as a competition entry as so I can hoik it out and put it in a separate folder, then you stand a chance of winning this signed copy of the first Sontarans. And don't forget, listeners, we've still got another competition running at the moment. Um, Trevor, that was about comics following your fantastic interview with Paul Schoons last week uh, in episode 161. And I, I have to admit, I'm not a biggest Doctor Who comics fan. I, I have read the odd comic strip and been bemused by them in the main, it has to be said. But um, listening to Paul Schoons talk about you know, his, his obsession almost uh, with collecting um, Doctor Who comic strips going back almost since the very first story was ever published. Um, it, it was really, really interesting. But what was the question that you asked? Well, there is a very distinct link between Doctor Who comics and the Watchmen comic series. And we've asked our listeners to come up with the gentleman, the behind-the-scenes gentleman, who is that connection between these two particular uh, sci-fi fantasy universes. And the prize on offer is is a 600-page fascinating history of Doctor Who and comics. That's right, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It, it is a massive tome, and please only enter if you have a reinforced concrete mailbox, because if you don't, it will totally destroy it when it gets delivered by the postman. So please ensure <laughs> that your postbox can actually handle the weight of this massive, incredible tome that uh, Paul's produced because I've read through Mm. the entire thing. It's a fascinating read from page 100 to 600. But, yeah, it's incredibly detailed and and very fascinating. I think that's almost it for this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. I think there's just one further thing that I would like to mention. And uh, rather foolishly, um, a chap called Stephen, Stephen Prescott, uh, invited all of the hosts from the DWP uh, to take part in his podcast, his Doctor Who podcast, called 
A Madman with a Box podcast. Uh, this is where he has different guests on his show every week. And they can select an episode of Doctor Who, be it from the classic series or the new series, um, to come on and, and, and talk about it and uh, talk about why they enjoy that particular episode so much. And I've taken part recently. I, I discussed Vengeance on Varos, or Varos. And that was actually a, a point of contention as to whether or not I pronounce Varos incorrectly. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I never actually knew that was a major issue until Leeson brought that to my attention. And uh, yeah, I'm now concerned about pronouncing any foreign planet or foreign planet? All planets are foreign, I suppose, if it's not <laughs> Earth. But feel, feel, feel free to go and check out. Um, well, it, it's about an hour's long discussion uh, that I have with Stephen uh, about Vengeance on Varos. You can find that at amadmanwithabox.com. And uh, Trevor, this is something you might be doing, I understand, in the near future as well. Hopefully I can have another scintillating podcast where I can discuss various uh, pronunciations of Doctor Who episodes as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Or how about Logopolis? Oh, I don't think that's been done yet. That's a two-hour podcast just there. And next week on Doctor <laughs> Who, Logopolis. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, yes. But uh, but it, it's quite rare, really, that um, the campervan hosts go on other podcasts. It's something that generally I think we don't really have the time for. But uh, but this is one particular podcast that we really did want to uh, support. And uh, it, it, it's, it was really fun just to sit there and talk to, to Stephen for an hour about vengeance. And it's, it's quite interesting as well because, um, again, listeners, you may not know this, and maybe we're sharing too many secrets this week, but... We we edit our episodes of the no. Doctor Who podcasts. We do not. fairly heavily. Surely In fact, not. we we spend so much time editing. We spend far more time editing, or should I say, Trevor and Leeson do, um, than than they do actually recording the shows. Whereas Stephen has taken a very sensible route of just putting out whatever you happen to say during that hour. My so I was subject goodness. to sitting sitting down talking for an hour or so. And knowing that everything I say was probably going to end up online. And that was a pretty scary experience, I have to say. Have you got anything else to say, Trevor? Anything remotely interesting? Vaguely interesting? Or any more impressions to do? Wibble. Okay, and on that note, listeners, we'll bid you farewell for another seven days when we'll be back talking about David Tennant's era um, in, in Doctor Who. Now, we, we threatened to do this uh, a little while ago and it got postponed because something called Season 7 got transmitted. But we're going to be spending the next few episodes of the Doctor Who podcast talking about the 10th Doctor's era. So join us next week when we start off with the Christmas invasion. I look forward to that. So do I. So until then, adieu, farewell and goodbye. Bye-bye, James. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye, Trevor. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.